Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bello. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Galatians chapter 3, from verse 1 to 5. Oh, hallelujah. Okay, let me read. It says, um, O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only will I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish? This is Paul's description of the people. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? So you see that word there in verse 3 where it says, Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Doesn't speak of moral depravity or poverty of character because Paul couldn't be saying that do you become perfect by poverty of character so he possibly wasn't talking about poverty of character but he was talking about confidence in your performance and one of the things that God said to us this year is that we're going to move from self-sufficiency to Christ God's sufficiency Amen Uzo, help me work this mic because I can't really hear myself. Praise the Lord. So, he now says in verse 4, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, worketh miracles amongst you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. So we understand the idea of flesh. That flesh is not necessarily speaking of the failure of your moral self or your moral discipline. But it's speaking about your reliance on your performance. And God wants you to move from performance-based Christianity to Christianity that is inspired by the Holy Spirit and reduce the monitors and increase the front of the house because of the feedbacks and the scripture is very clear on on who we are in Romans chapter 8 it says for as many as are led by the spirit of God these are the sons of God so the sons of God are not those who are led by their will to be perfect not by prophecy amen, amen. but by the Holy Spirit so therefore the Holy Spirit remains the moral compass for the believer the Holy Spirit has replaced the law. In the Old Testament, and I want you to understand it very well because you would miss 
I'll go into that shortly. You miss the difference between dead works and good works if you don't understand the place of the Holy Spirit. And I would explain that. God gave a law to the people of Israel and he said, for you to be righteous, there are certain things that you have to do. So there is the list of thou shalt not and thou shalt. There is also the requirements of the law, which are about 613 of them. Uh, The purpose of that law was not to make you actually be righteous by doing those things because you couldn't even do them in the first place. So what God does is he puts the law so that you see your need for him and then you depend on him to be what the law is supposed to make you be. So thou shalt or thou shalt not has been replaced by the Holy Spirit. So, um, the law was given on Mount Sinai. When Moses received the Ten Commandments, the, the law was given on Mount Sinai. And the day Moses received the law is the same thing as what the Jews call the Pentecost. Because the Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. The Passover, uh, the first story of the Passover is the time where... Um, the angel of death was passing and, and, and God said, if I see the blood, I will pass over. So when the angel of death was going to sweep through the land of Egypt, but he would pass through doors that had blood stains on their lintel because he has seen blood already. You know the logic of having the angel of death pass over blood? You don't kill when you already see death. So that's why the angel of death would pass through or pass over because death has already occurred in this house. And at the time where the angel of death passes over the house that has the stain of blood, it's not a function of the lifestyle of the people behind the door. But it's a function of the fact that there is the presence of blood on the lintel, which says to you, and that's a prophecy of what God is going to do in the future, that I will pass over you, not because of you, but I will pass over you because of somebody who died. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, why do we forget that part of the scripture? For the wages of sin is death. We stop there and we torment the people of God. (laughs) For the wages of sin is death. But there is a but. there There is a but that cancels everything. So it moves from for the wages of sin is death to but the gift of God is eternal life. We have the gift of God already. Everything about the gospel begins with a gift, is sustained by a gift, ends with a gift, is about a gift. For your salvation was a gift. Jesus was a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave. The Holy Spirit is a gift. 
Jesus said, I will send you the comfort. I will give you the Holy Spirit. That's the Doria. Then we also have the gift, I mean, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So you have the gifts of a gift. That the Holy Spirit you enjoy today, you didn't work for Him. And the gifts that you have, you didn't work for the gifts that the gift gave you. God Himself is a gift. You know what scripture is trying to point to you? That there is no reason for anybody to boast. For by grace have you been saved. It is not of yourself, but it is the gift of God. Hallelujah. So, so the day Moses received the, the law, that law he, he received was... The dispensation. It was going to be the beginning of a dispensation. That law ran from the day Moses received it until the day Jesus died. Are you still here? Yes. So therefore, um, even when Jesus came, Jesus was under the law. Yeah, so the fact that Jesus was... Um, an embodiment of the New Testament of the new creation did not mean that Jesus wasn't under the law. He was under the law. So there were some things that he would say and if you take them outrightly, he was speaking to people who were under the law. So that's why it's important that we rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. Now how does a new dispensation come? A new dispensation came when the Holy Spirit came. So, the law was given by Moses 50 days exactly after the Passover. Now, Jesus had the Passover with his disciples. The Passover, which was called the Lord's Supper. And 50 days after that was the inception of a new dispensation of the Spirit. Which says to you and I that the Spirit's dispensation has come to replace the law. Praise God. That's why the Bible says that the Holy Ghost was rushing. Because he has to coincide with the exact timing that one was given. That he, it was like a mighty rushing wind. And it, he, he counters the presence of an ongoing dispensation. And he ushers us into the new dispensation of the Holy Spirit. So therefore for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. These ones are the sons of God. Not for as many as are led by the law. The law was given to the children of Israel to lead them and to guide them. But what is the difference between leading by the law and leading by the Holy Spirit? And that's what we dealt with on Wednesday. That if your life is led by performance, if your life is led by the law, praise God. Look at Romans chapter, uh, 7 verse 5. We also shared this scripture. Let me just show you. Romans 7 verse 5, the Amplified Version. Romans 7 verse 5. It says, When we were living in the flesh, mere physical lives, the sinful passions that were awakened and aroused up by what the law makes sin were constantly operating in our natural powers. Somebody say natural powers. Okay. Um... In our bodily organs, in the sensitive appetites and wheels of the flesh, so that we bore fruit 
for death. Then look at verse 6. But now we are discharged. Somebody said we are discharged. Amen, amen. We're discharged. We're, we're no longer married to the law. We've been divorced from the law. Another word for discharge is di- divorced. So you have been divorced before. But from the law. Amen. Amen. You've been divorced. You've been discharged from the law. Praise the Lord. How did you get divorced from the law? So you were married to the law. So how did you get divorced from the law? If you read Romans chapter 7 from the beginning down to the end. Should I tell you how you got divorced from the law? You got divorced from the law because you died. That's how you got divorced from the law. Why are you looking like this? Because I said died. You died in Christ. Okay, so your death in Christ separates you from a legitimate marriage. If, if a husband and wife are married, the wife or the woman is free to remarry if her husband dies. So we got divorced from the law because we were married, but because we died in Christ Jesus, we are now free from the law. And we are now free in newness of life to marry another. So if you read Romans 7 down, you see that you are married to Christ now. Christ is now your husband. It's a woman matter. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So in verse 6 it says, So now we serve not under obedience to the old code of written regulations. Now you see the word regulation there. But under obedience to the promptings of the spirit. In what? In newness of life. Which says to you now that we are not under the obligation of regulations of thou shalt not. But we are now under the obedience to the promptings of the spirit. Because the spirit will tell you what to do. Without the pressure of thou shalt not. And the consciousness of what thou shalt not will do to you if you do not. If you understand what I mean. So, let's see Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's use the message version to read Romans chapter 8 from verse 1. With the arrival of Jesus, hallelujah, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. I like the message version sometimes, you know, just sometimes the message really points to the message. Then there are other times it just takes the message away. <laughs> but it's good to use it for your advantage. Amen. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous now lying black cloud. Sorry, low lying black cloud. Before we continue, this is the summary of what we said on Wednesday. That if you are a... I must do it my way kind of guy. Or I must do it my way kind of woman. You will hardly be led by the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to the leading of the Holy Spirit, your 
your will has to break. Do, do you know that I, I found out that for soldiers, when you come into the army, the first thing the training does to you is to take your will away. Because you have to wake up with everybody. You don't have a will anymore. Wake up in the morning, 5 a.m. Everybody has to. There is no will. So your will is taken away. Now, as a believer, the more mature you get in the faith, the less will you have. That's one of the signs of spiritual maturity, that you don't have a will of your own. Because the Holy Spirit has become your will. In fact, there was a day I was saying that, I don't make plans except I know the plan. I don't make plans before the plan. The plan is what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. And then I build my plan around the plan of the Holy Spirit. So a woman or a man who is fixed in a particular way and must have things done her way or his way, sometimes or many times will miss God. But if you are sensitive... To what the Holy Spirit is saying, your will is broken, your ways are, are, are laid bare before him, and he is able to direct your path at every given time. Praise the Lord. So, um, let's see verse 2. Verse 2. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ. Somebody say new power is in operation. Like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air. Freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. I hope this English makes sense to you. Amen. Next verse. God went for the jugular. Wow. When he sent his own son. (laughs) Praise God. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. Entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, which says to you that the law was weak because of the flesh. So if you put the perfect law uh, in the flesh, perfect law is not able to be perfect because it's in a weak flesh. Do we understand that? So, it says the law called wicked as it always was by fractured human nature could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. Wow. And now, what the law called asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we Instead of redoubling our own efforts. Are you now seeing the scripture? So it says, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. This is the New Testament. That what the Holy Spirit is doing in you has replaced the efforts, you know. So I'm speaking about mixtures and balances today. Because apart from talking about mixtures in regards to doctrine... We, we, we all know that, but most times we live our lives in mixtures. And we will come to that very shortly. So the next verse, verse 5. It says, those who think they can do it on their own, end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercise it in real life. Look at your neighbor say, leave your moral muscle. 
uh, tell, come on, tell somebody else again. Say, leave that moral muscle. Preach with a preacher's voice. Say, leave it. Tell your neighbor, I've left my own. Leave your own. I hope you didn't just lie. <laughs> leave, leave your moral what muscle. Heaven is not for good men. Heaven is for men who believe in Christ. But guess what? Men who believe in Christ become good men. Does that make sense to you? It said, those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them living and breathing God. Ah, that means there is a Holy Ghost in you. You know, Paul said, in him we live. Hallelujah. In him we move. And in him we have our being. There is something working in you. It's a mighty life that is at work in you. And you are trying to walk with it. The two can, can go together. So leave your moral muscle. Rely on what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do. That's where there is strength, really. Praise God. Next verse. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Are you seeing the scripture? Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious free life. So when the law puts you in a place where there are conditions, and if you don't meet those conditions, your life is suffocated by your inability to meet what you want to do. You, you, are, you are battling with your failures, your incompetences as a man or as a woman, and you are relating that with how God is pleased with you or not. But the Spirit of God leads you into a spacious free life. Hallelujah. Next verse. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. So focusing on self is flesh. What can I do? Rather than what can the Spirit do through me? What did Paul say? He says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So that's where you get your balance from. You never trust in yourself because if you trust in yourself, you would always be put in the place where self would show you its incompetences and incapacities. But you must never trust in self. Right? That person ignores who God is and what he is doing. The next, next verse. And God isn't pleased at being ignored. Tell your neighbor, God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. Next verse. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, 
he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Then verse 12. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There is nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Next verse. This is resurrection life. If you receive from God, uh, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's up next, Papa? Or what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are. Father and children. Next verse. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. Let's see the next verse. That's why I don't think there is any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. You know, the Holy Spirit assures you of this thing, that in, in, your, in your struggle, you, that's why when you see hard times, don't try to do things yourself. Just allow the Holy Spirit carry you. No, I must not have things my way, do things my way, the way I know it. God wants to beat your reason. He wants to beat the way you have always done things. Praise God. Next verse. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation has been more or less held back. God reigns in it. God, God's, uh, God reigns it in. Next verse. Until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. Oh, I like this, I like this phrase. The Spirit of God, I think we should do a song on this. The Spirit of God is what? Arousing us within. Oh, say that with me. The Spirit of God is arousing me within. Hallelujah. It says we're also feeling the birth pangs. You know, what those creation... Um, the, the creation of God feels what they feel we also feel it because we can't wait to just be like him exactly as he is praise God these sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance next verse that is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting dimish, diminishes a pregnant mother we are enlarged in the waiting we, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is, is, is in us, right? We don't see it, but the Holy Spirit is arousing us within. Now, see the next verse. But the longer we wait, the larger we become. And the more joyful our expectancy. 
this is, this is for somebody who knows there is a hope. And you know who puts the hope in you is the Holy Spirit. He reminds you every time that there is something better coming. He keeps telling you. So let's keep going. It says, meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us. Making prayer out of our wordless sighs. Our aching groans. That, that those times when you, the Holy Spirit takes the, and he begins to pray for you. So you can't even be disadvantaged Even when you say I don't know what to pray You you can't You can't even be disadvantaged At the point where you are speechless You are lost for words Because of circumstances and situations You cannot be disadvantaged Tell two people around you Say you cannot be You cannot be Can I tell you something You know without the Holy Spirit right This prayer You would have to pray this prayer and articulate it in words for God to answer. But because of the Holy Spirit, even when the prayers cannot be articulated in words, Holy Spirit is praying for you. So how can the believer be disadvantaged? Wow. The last thing a believer should do is to give up. Because if you follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, there is a way joy and expectancy of what is to come overwhelms your pain. If you press into it by yielding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, you will come into peace and joy that you can't explain even when things are going wrong around you. You know, a lady met me and was asking me, Pastor Phil, what happens when you tell me there is God? What happens to the girl was abused at an early age lost her father her mother abandoned her started living all kinds of life and you try to tell that girl God is fair what happens to that kind of girl and I said to the woman I said I'm not God I don't know but God has his way of ministering his love to that kind of person It's not in your place to decide how God is going to minister to someone. God has... So you might look at the situation humanly speaking and say, Oh, me, I've not recovered from my own. How much more this kind of story? How can this person survive this story? But do you know God knows how to reach his love to everybody? That that same person who you are thinking was a hopeless situation... When he or she touches the love of God, that same person will preach to you. So we must never think that God's love cannot reach anything. God's love is ever reaching. Hallelujah. Let's keep reading verse 27. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present, right? Before God. The next verse. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Oh, hallelujah. 
Next verse. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. Next verse. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. Wow. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end. It's just like Jesus who died and rose up to see that what he died for is standing. That's what he did. So, he's a man who has a will. He died, wrote the will, died. But the natural man cannot be resurrected to see if the bad uncles are not cheating his son. So Jesus wrote a will, died. The new covenant was in effect. But he rose up to ensure that, Father, this thing I died for, he must not be in vain. No. You can't see. You have, you have, you have the assurance of being, being blessed by every side. The assurance of the Spirit, the assurance of the present ministry of Jesus. That he constantly intercedes for you every time. God loves us. God loves us. The, the last thing you can do for your, the last thing you should do, in fact, the thing you should never do, is to ever think that God doesn't love you. That's the biggest temptation. That God doesn't love me. Say, Pastor, see all the things that have happened to me. If God loves me, why would this happen to me? God has proven his love by sending his son to you to die. Romans 5, 8 says, For hearing is, I mean, uh, for God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you don't need a super demonstration again of his love for you. I was speaking to a lady. You know, real, when you start to deal with real life experiences, you have to answer these questions. I was speaking to another lady who lost her father and I was trying to tell her God loves you I mean sorry lost her mom I was trying to tell her God loves you and it didn't make sense to her because she's attaching God's love to what happened to her and I'm saying to her that look what happened to you is not as strong as what happened for you what happened to you? What happened to you? Your experience doesn't displace your position. It doesn't. What happened for you was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, God has demonstrated. He says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's keep going. Let's move to the next verse. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Yeah. Move to the next verse. Verse 31. It says, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? You know, when he says like this, stay in verse 31. He says, with God on our side like this, how can we lose? He's saying that the Spirit is prompting you 
and giving you joy and hope inside out, not outside in. You know, because many people's joy is dependent on what happens. If things are not happening right, they can't be happy. But you see, we who are believers, we are not, we are not, we are not, we are not following the promptings of the world manifestation or happenings, but we follow the promptings of the Spirit. That you are happy even when there is no money. You are happy when you are taking care. You are more confident in keke than someone with G-Wagon. Because of what you know, the Holy Spirit is working in you. Hallelujah. Look at the next verse. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Next verse. And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Exactly what I just told you. Can you look at your neighbor, but in a very polite way, right? Before there is fight in the house. Just look at your neighbor and say, don't dare me. <laughs> Before you hear, bah, in the house of God. That's slap, oh. <laughs> You know, we Nigerians, we use different sounds to express what we mean. Let me give you an example. You know, I just saw a car coming, and the car was coming, and all of a sudden we just hear, Bwah! What did you say? <laughs> but you know what the person is saying. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Anyway, let's move on. Verse 35. Verse 35. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? I celebrate the love God has for me. If you are confident that he loves you, and you know this thing by the scripture, you can't allow yourself fall for condemnation. To think that you're... The one who is talking is God. Paul, talking... On behalf of God, that nothing can drive a wedge. You know, you know, nothing can drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us. There is no way. Somebody say no way. No way. Look at your neighbor. Say no way, no way, no way. <laughs> Let me preach the love of God to you this morning. He loves you too much. That he loves you too much, and he cannot unlove you. The love of God is more overwhelming than how Satan hates you. Yeah? It says there is no way not trouble. You see, so Paul is now trying to balance things for you so that, you know, oh, God loves me, but if he loves me, why did this happen to me? See it in the scripture. It says not trouble. Not hard times. Not hatred. Somebody hates you now, you are interpreting it to God's love. Just because the guy said no. You say, if God loves me, why will he say no? Is God the guy? (laughs) 
So, oh, if God loves me, why is, why is there no money? How can, you, how can you put in comparison money and his love for you? Just follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When he begins to minister that hope, you would move in the right direction. That money you are looking for, not as the Gentiles seek, will follow you. Because we believe in having money in this kingdom. You know what God told us this year? You would have, excuse my language, stupid money. In 2020. Money, you know all these things where in your family, nobody has crossed the kind of money that should be on national levels of interpretation of this guy's reach. You are the first. You are the first. You are breaking out. You are breaking out. What is the land that was slain? To receive power and then to receive riches. What is God using riches to do? If you are not enjoying it. It says, it says not, not trouble. Let's read that part together, everybody. Let's start from not trouble. Want to go? Not trouble. Not hard times. Not hatred. Not hunger. Somebody say not hunger. Oh. Not hunger. Hunger cannot separate you from God's love. Not hunger. Just because you didn't eat twice in a day. God, you don't love me. <laughs> Nowhere to keep hunger. Nowhere to keep God's love. Because if you are going through stuff. And the Holy Spirit is working expectant joy in you. You know that nothing can touch that love. You are not even contemplating that does he love me, does he not love me. It's not a thought. You will feel the pain, no? But it's not a thought that he doesn't love me. It's not even a thought. I want to establish you in his love. Right? Then let's, let's go. It says, not bullying. Threats. Look at your neighbor. Say, not backstabbing. Backstab me all you want. God still loves me. If you talk about somebody, let me even tell you, anybody who is backbiting is at the back. Abi? Those backstabbers, they are at the back. And they would always be at the back. Because they don't have the courage to come in front and talk to you. Backstabbers will not separate God's love from you. It's impossible. Not even the worst sins listed. Say this one four times. (laughs) Because I want it to sink into your heart. For if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Oh, you think, are you the one who originated law? Are you the one who originated sin and right? Is it your blood? It's not your neighbor. It's not your pastor who died for you. This is the scripture telling you that not even your worst sins can separate God's love from you. So, pastor, I've not been in church because if I come to church, you know, I need to do some work on myself before I show in church, before I come around. You know, the Bible says, lift up holy hands. My hands has to be holy. You don't know that you are holy. Hallelujah. First John. Yeah, First John chapter 3. He says, it says for if our heart condemns us, God is greater. Look at, look at the next verse. If I look at verse 19. Go to verse 19. Go to verse 19 of this First John chapter 3. Says, and by this we know that we are of the truth. And shall assure our hearts before him. You know what this is saying? Learn to assure your hearts before God. 
When your heart is condemning you, assure the heart. Don't worry, it's God. So, so, are you getting what I'm saying? Your heart is trying to condemn you. How can you come before God? No, no, no. <laughs> Let's add some Mount Zion now. You know? We respect those people who they've done well for the body of Christ. You see the the eh? I am at anger. So then somebody now said it is I am at anger. They actually asked him, they actually asked uh, Mike Bamiloe, that what did you say? Is it I am at anger or is I am at anger? I say it is I am at anger. <laughs> Which one is I, I am at anger? I am at anger. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. He says, by this we know that we are of the truth. He said, we know that we are of the truth. Huh? And shall assure our hearts before him. Learn how to assure your heart before God. When you come in prayer and the first thing you sense is condemnation, assure your heart is God. And who is God? Papa. There's no running away from Papa. No, we don't run from Papa. Sorry, we don't run from Papa. But we run from Papa. When you hear horn, Papa has come. You take off. Then you go and form reading your book. <laughs> Sometimes you are even reading the book upside down. You know, because of pretense. You know. Men, please, that's not the kind of father we are. Don't use your natural father to interpret God. Don't, don't use your natural daddy, the way, the way papa brought you up, to interpret how God is dealing with you. Look at the prodigal son. That's how... The prodigal father, actually. That's how God deals with you. This thing of performance, eh? You want to please daddy. Not knowing that daddy is just trying to get you to know he loves you so much. You don't need to try to please me to make me love you. Did you hear what I said? But because you know that I love you, you want to respond by pleasing me. Is there a difference? So that's the difference between dead works and good works. Dead works is what you do to gain acceptance from God. To gain favor from God. To gain right standing with God. That's dead works. That if I do this, God will be happy with me. And he would accept me. No, you have missed the scripture. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's Ephesians 1 verse 6. Just show me Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. We'll come back to what we're reading. But use the King James Version now. Let's leave. It says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us what? Accepted His past tense. You have been accepted already. You are not trying to be accepted. You have been accepted. So there is no pressure of trying to get God to accept you. No. You must learn to assure your heart before God. Look at three people and tell them, assure. I know you, you may not like to, but just tell three people for me. Assure your heart before God. Go back to that Romans with the message version. Quickly. 
Hallelujah. Now move to the next verse, verse 36. Verse 36. It says, they kill us in cold blood because they hate you. Did I get that right? We are sitting dogs. They pick us off one by one. None of these phases us because Jesus loves us. Oh, hallelujah. Next verse. I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing, living or dead, angelic or demonic, that is the one, whether it's the one from God, or let me, not, let me put it that way, whether it's the one from heaven or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love. Because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. The gospel is not telling you to love God. The gospel is telling you that he loves you. It is your response of his love that makes you love him back. So this this conversation of love does not start with, you have to love God. You know, I was listening to a preacher preach, and all he was saying was questioning and condemning the people of God, saying that, who are you? <laughs> and he went on to say, how dare you not love God? Have you proved your love for God today? The air you breathe, is it your own? <laughs> Even should allow me to act this drama well. That's not the gospel. God bless that preacher. I don't condemn. I was there before. I had insulted people for not loving God before. Right? But hear this. The gospel says that he loves you. For we love him because he first loved us. Don't forget that. That's the scripture. So if, if you see somebody who is an unbeliever. By the way, we've been witnessing to souls and we've been getting great results. We had people saved last Sunday. You see an unbeliever. The first thing you want to tell the unbeliever is you have to love God. If you don't love God, you can't enter heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is saying he loves you. Receive his love. That's the gospel. Bishop Wally was telling me of how he was walking through his hostel and he saw a girl who was smoking and doing everything. And All the people who had come to preach to that girl were talking about her cigarettes. She would use bottle to chase those evangelists away. But the moment Bishop Wally got there, I mean, then he was still in the university, he called and he said, my sister, I want to preach the gospel to you, and I promise you, I won't make mention of this cigarette. She said, ah, come, sit down. <laughs> he sat down and he started to tell her how God loves her. You know the first question she asked him? She said, do you know me? Because what she heard 
She can't match with who she is. This is what the gospel does to you. The gospel will always supersede your character and your experiences. The love of God will be superimposed on how you have been or wherever you are coming from. He's a pastor, you don't know where I'm coming from. I know where Jesus is coming from. Alright, so let's move. Let's finish this one. High or low, thinkable or unthinkable. Blah, blah. Move to the next verse, please. At the same time, you need to know that I carry with me at all times a huge sorrow. Okay, no, have we finished? Okay, we're finished. Praise God. So let me, please just write these things down. I want to just list out a few things to you. We're going to move from doctrinal mixtures to practical mixtures. Because if you understand mixtures in the context of doctrine, I want you to, to see that sometimes you practice mixtures in your practical living. Right? Write this one down, number one. Dead works and good works. Dead works, Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 1 to 3. And Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. So the difference, you have to understand the difference between dead works and what? And good works. We've already dealt with that. That dead works is what you do to gain God's favor and acceptance. And his... um, And to have right standing with God by your works. But that's dead works. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. So, repentance from dead works. See Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Use the amplified version, please. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. It says, how much more surely shall the blood of Christ, who by virtue of his eternal spirit, his own pre-existent divine personality, has offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice to God, purifying our consciences from dead works and lifeless observance to serve the ever-living God. So you see that word, lifeless observance, that is the things that you observe just to please God. Right? Those things are dead works. But what is good works? Um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, born anew that we may do those good works which God predestinated for us, which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life, which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So here is the balance. Um, sometimes dead works and good works from the outside look alike. But doesn't mean that the motives are correct. So the motives, might be, the motives will be different, but the outward show of dead works and good works are the same. So that you try to do the things that are good, you try to do what is right, you read your Bible, you pray, you give to the poor, and you do all those noble things. Those things can be dead works if you are trying to gain God's acceptance. 
Because you have to know that you have already been accepted. Are you getting what I'm saying? So he has accepted you. He has blessed you. He has done all of that. He has made you righteous. So you are not trying to gain right standing with him. That's the scripture. But if you read Roman, I mean Ephesians 2 verse 10, where we are now, he says, For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship. Meaning that he has already born you again. Not your works getting you to the state of being born again. I don't know if you get the difference. So one is before the cross and the other is after the cross. The one that is before the cross is dead works. That you are trying to do things for your spirit to be saved. But what is after the cross is what we call good works. That because you have been saved, therefore you do the things that are good. So good works and dead works. Do we understand the differences? So we must never mix the two of them. The balance is believing right, not doing right. Abraham, for example, did not... Ishmael is called the the son of the flesh. But Isaac is called the son of the promise. Why is Ishmael called the son of the flesh? Because Abraham gave birth to Ishmael in his strength. And God was trying to use Abraham as a symbolic representation of what dead works and good works will be. Or the children of promise and the children of bondage. So Abraham giving birth to Ishmael in the place of his strength. And when he cooled as a man, speaks of you trying to do it by yourself. But the time where Isaac was born was where Abraham could by no means give birth to a child. He was a hundred years. And his wife was 90 years old, 90 years old chick, giving birth to a a child. I mean, medically speaking, it is impossible that a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man will give birth to a child. But this is what good works is. That because Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, then God fulfilled that the coming of Isaac will be by promise, not by works. So there's a difference between dead works and good works. So quit trying to do dead works. I want to do this because I want God to accept me. No, 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 no. That's dead works. God has accepted you. But when you do it because you see what he has done for you, that is good works. Do we understand the difference? Then number two, there is a difference between godly sorrow and condemnation. There is a difference between godly sorrow and condemnation. The Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. What is the difference between godly sorrow and condemnation? Condemnation brings judgment to you. That's condemnation. It passes a sentence at you. It tells you that you are not good enough. It speaks to the very core of your identity. It even tells you that you are a sinner. That's what condemnation does. But godly sorrow is that you feel bad for hurting the one you love. So someone asks me a question, Pastor Bill, is it okay if I say to God, I'm sorry? I said, there is nothing wrong with saying I'm sorry. But don't think you're saying I'm sorry is what predicates forgiveness. Because forgiveness didn't come because of I'm sorry. You, you, you have to move past your natural way of dealing with people to how God dealt with you. Okay, because I'm sorry did not, I'm sorry did not work with God. 
I'm sorry, mm, the wages of sin is death. It's not I'm sorry. You sin is not sorry. Scripture was clear from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The wages of sin is what? Is death. That if you are going to really be sorry, then die. That's how you tell me I'm sorry. So if we die, what is the fate of one who has died trying to say sorry? Is it not hell? So God says, okay, mm, how do I do this thing? I'm going to get a wisdom out of this mess. I will, I will come in the flesh, live your life for you, fulfill the law that you could not fulfill, keep all the law. Do you know why Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist? He was baptized by John the Baptist to fulfill all the requirements of the law. He said that I will fulfill all righteousness. There's a meaning to that. So when Jesus lived your life fully, he died on the cross, he died your death. What? Jesus, was not, Jesus was not killed. He died. Because he said, no man can take my life, but I will be the one to lay down my life. So when the people came, they said, where is Jesus? Hey, Agbori. Where are you? Jesus just got up and said, I am he. All of them fell. He was trying to prove that if you say you want to come and kill me, you can't. But I will be the one to lead myself as a priest who leads the lamb to the slaughter. Do you understand it? So I am sorry is not God's sorry. No, the wages of sin is death. So when he died, he died your death. That dying of Jesus was the sorry. Yeah. So therefore, my saying sorry to God is not saying that is where I receive forgiveness. No, you have received forgiveness of sin. Acts chapter 13 verse 38. Quickly show me, very quickly. Acts chapter 13 verse 38. Acts chapter 13 verse 38. Very quickly. It says, therefore let it be known to you brethren, that through this man is preached to you, what? The forgiveness of sin. Meaning to you that the forgiveness of sin was not predicated on how you said you are sorry, or how you lived your life. But do we say sorry to God? So godly sorrow is okay. That if you do something wrong because you have hurt someone you love, you say, Lord, I'm sorry about this. This is not who I am. Who I am is who you have made me to be righteous. But I'm sorry about this. I feel, this, I feel the sadness. But you don't slip into condemnation huh? just because you are sorry. So I am, you know, it's, it's off balance when people who say, um, just because we are a new man in Christ, you do something wrong and you don't feel bad about it. There is therefore now no man in Christ. No man, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Shut up, man. See, you, you hurt someone you love. There, there, there would definitely be a godly sorrow. But there is a thin line between that godly sorrow and condemnation. Condemnation is dangerous to your spirit. You must never get there. The Holy Spirit will always tell you you are righteous. Do we understand the balance? So let us understand the balance of godly sorrow, which doesn't affect the core of your identity, which doesn't judge you as a person, who you are in Christ, but it speaks of your heart towards the one you love. But condemnation speaks of, it tells you that you are, you, are, you, are, you are a terrible human being. It says that you are a failure in life. You are, not your, you are not your experience. Have you heard that phrase, this guy fell from grace? Oh, look at that brother. You know, 
I've been watching him for quite some time now. He has fallen from grace. Moving from one girl to another. He has fallen. He's just, he's, the rapture is near. <laughs> when we see the likes of people like this, the rapture is near. No, that's not what falling from grace means. Falling from grace does not mean you sin. Should I shake it? Yeah. Falling from grace does not mean you fell into sin. That's why it's called falling from grace. Galatians chapter 5 verse 4. Let me show you what falling from grace is. Galatians chapter 5 verse 4. It says, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. To, be, to fall from grace is the attempt to do dead works. That's what falling from grace is. So you see somebody who is trying to do things that is an attempt to be justified by live right, do right, perform right, be, be right. You see all those things? Now, you may not be sinning, but you are falling from grace. Does that make sense to you? You may not, you may not be committing a sin, but that attempt is the falling from grace. That the falling from grace is an attempt. is not the sin in itself. So therefore, to be in grace and to stay in grace is the ability to trust all the time what Christ has done for you. That's what it means to be in grace. Number three, righteousness consciousness and sin consciousness. You must not slip into sin consciousness because you did something wrong. You know, you see, let's, let's, let's leave all the drama of... Um, I know the doctrine, you know, uh, I don't live by the law, but I'm saved by grace. You can tell when a preacher mixes. I call them DJs. You can tell when they, that's, you miss, you give small law today, so that the people no go wayward. <laughs> then you now shock it with grace tomorrow. Just because you are trying to be smart with the word of God. You don't know that it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. You don't understand that this grace itself is a better teacher than the law. Fathers, do you want your children to love you because they have to? Or you want your children to love you because they want to? The want to is grace. The have to is you must love me. I don't want to have a child like that. I want a child who loves me because he wants to love me. Not the one that if you don't love me, I command you. No, 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 no. That's not. No, 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 no. You don't want to have children who have to love you because you must put a law. If you don't love me, no food for you. Come on, show mama you love her. Come on. No, 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 no. How do you provoke love? You provoke love by loving the child. Love is a spirit. As you love, you know children even know when you don't like them. Yeah. As you love, they would know. And they will love you back. They will be comfortable with you. Sometimes I used to use one eye to look at people that children are always running away from. <laughs> I look at them with one eye. I'm like, why kids? Because kids are very perceptive. Look at Jesus. All the children were running to Jesus. And people like Peter say, hey, stop there. 
But Jesus said, let them come, let them come. So write the scripture down, Romans 2 verse 4, is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. So righteousness, consciousness is what you should have, not sin consciousness. Not sin consciousness. Let me stop at number four. Number four, forgiveness based on the offense. You are practicing mixture. Let me explain. Uh, yes, let me explain. Uh, some of us, we forgive, but we look at what was done. <laughs> yes. There is what to forgive, and there is what not to forgive. If it is this one, we, can, we cannot... No. But, you know, all these other minor sins, like stealing meat in the pot, you know, all those ones we can forgive those ones you you know small small lie white lie what's the meaning of that what's the meaning of white lie lie that is white how is your mouth as you are saying it lie 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 so white <laughs> what's, the, what's the meaning of that is it, oh the pastor they, you know where 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 principle there, there's we have to be careful with our heart there's what to forgive you are practicing mixture if you choose what to forgive and what not to forgive. That's mixture. Because you are not seeing that, first of all, you were forgiven and you did not choose his extension of forgiveness from what you did for your own self. But when it came to somebody else, you have to analyze the person. It depends on what you do. Um, Pastor, I want to say to you, there is a confession I have to make. But please, let me just say now that if you hear this thing I want to say, promise me you will forgive me. It depends. (laughs) Who has been there before? (laughs) Okay, okay, wait. Who has said it before? It depends on what you say to me. Now, <laughs> that it depends has you are in mixture. You must always have a disposition to forgive every time. This mixture thing eh, is going to shake the core of what you believe. Of. There was a guy in the scripture that slept with his father's wife, his stepmother. So Paul wrote, he slept with his father's wife. Please, I did not say go and sleep. <laughs> no. But I'm telling you what, the, what happened in the Bible. <laughs> there was a guy in the scripture who slept with his father's wife. They put the guy out. Paul said, that's right. Discipline him. He should be disciplined. And that's something that is not even named amongst unbelievers. That shouldn't be in the church. Another balance. There's a difference between discipline and correction. Sorry. There's a difference between condemnation and correction. So in administering correction, it has to be administered in love, but the person must be disciplined. So the new creation doesn't take away discipline. That you are a grace church doesn't mean you're loose. 
You can be disciplined. Discipline is part of grace. It doesn't counsel discipline. So Paul wrote, say, that guy who slept with his father's wife, extend your hand of love to him and bring him back into the fold. Lest Satan will take advantage of you. I'll give you one last one. Final one. (laughs) This year, be careful to sleep into... It might not be harmful in the outlooking or outwardly, if you're looking at it. It might not be harmful. You think it's nothing. But be careful to sleep from rest to anxiety as a Christian. Anxiety is a mixture. Anxiety is an expression of lack of faith in what Christ has done. Now, I hear people say, Pastor, my being anxious is concern. Don't be too concerned to the point where you lose your rest. So don't sleep from rest to anxiety. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything... By prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will garrison your hearts. Praise the Lord. This message is get towards bringing you into the place of peace that you would never struggle again but rest in what Christ solely has done. Hallelujah. I want you to lift up your hands and thank God for what he has done for you. Thank him for what he has done for you. Thank him for what he has done for you. We're confident in his love. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj.